morning, go ahead and open them to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 and 3 this morning. Some of you who've been to Disneyland know that the employees there are called the cast. The cast. I don't know if that makes them feel better about being there or not, uh, but they are part of the overall show though, right? Could you imagine going to Disneyland and seeing the cast fighting? It's definitely not what people pay for, right? Conflict would shatter our, our expectation of finding the happiest place on earth. Now, perhaps if you go there often enough, you may see some disharmony. You may see a squabble break out here and there. I don't know. But what you most often see at Disneyland is harmony. It's, it's unity. You see, every of the cast members, apparently, apparently, I'm sure it's not true, but apparently thinking the same thing. Now, I've never talked to one of those cast members. I try to imagine what is that thing that they're all thinking. What are they thinking that brings them that apparent unity? My guess was they want every person who comes in to have a great experience. I think that that's what they're all thinking. They want you to have the best time possible, for you to believe this truly is the happiest place on earth. In the book of Philippians, Paul addresses two women who were having trouble thinking the same thing. Their minds were dominated more by what they wanted than what Christ wanted. But the stakes were much higher than the reputation of a theme park. The reputation of Christ was at stake. The progress of the Great Commission was at stake. The conflict of these two women was taking its toll on the church in Philippi. Helping these women was part of the reason why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. This theme of unity is one that keeps coming up in the book of Philippians. We really see it in the very first verse, and it's one that comes back again and again. Philippians 1.1, we see Paul intentionally saying to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. In 1 verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Chapter 1 verse 25, convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Paul keeps bringing up this focus of all of the Philippians together. And we see why at the end of chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. And this is where Paul begins, in a sense, the, 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 the preaching section of the letter. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, and here's the unity part, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We see that unity there in chapter 1, verse 27. It, Paul returns to it in chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The theme of unity is a big theme of the book of Philippians. It's part of the reason why Paul wrote, because Paul was concerned about Christ being glorified, and Christ was glorified through the unity of his people. It's a theme that's woven through the book of Philippians, and really what we see is it comes to a crescendo in a very specific application in Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to read Philippians 4, 1 through 9 together. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And that's this way is referring to verses 17 to 21. Verse 2, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if, in anything, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word, for preserving it for us. We know that these instructions here are given to two women uh, who lived nearly 2,000 years ago, and yet your word is timeless, and it's true, and it's preserved for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you um, would do a work in us, Lord, that as we learn what you say about unity, that we'd be examining our own hearts, that we'd become aware of the tension we feel towards our brothers and sisters, that we'd have more wisdom in how to resolve conflict, that you would help us as, as, as parents and as we shepherd our children through conflict. We pray, Father, that um, what is at stake here, the glory of Christ, living worthy of the gospel, would become um, more important to us uh, than our own rights, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning... We're going to draw three instructions from Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, so that we'll live in harmony in the Lord. So we're going to draw three instructions from Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, so that we will live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I say that um, intentionally. We're going to draw instructions. Paul isn't giving a specific command to the church here. There's no one named Euodia or Syntyche here. At least not that I know of yet. We're not the same true companion that Paul asked to help them. There's not specific commands given to the church here. But we're going to, so we're going to be drawing instructions from these principles here so that we will live in harmony in the Lord, just as Paul called them. We'll see today at Cornerstone Bible Church in the 21st century that we have to maintain unity, and it's going to require work. That leads us to our first instruction. We need to pursue unity in your relationships. Pursue unity in your relationships. Let's look at verse 2 of chapter 4. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. We uh, read this morning in the immediate context of verse 1. How Paul just overflows with this loving language, calling them, My beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown. My beloved. And that language is really setting the stage for this command that Paul is going to give. He prepares them for himself being engaged. And if Paul felt this way about the Philippians, how much more should they feel this way about one another? How much more should they be able to look at one another? How much more should you, Odia and Syntyche, be able to look across, even as this letter is being read to this church in Philippi, and think about one another as their joy and their crown, as their beloved brothers and sisters, with longing for one another? Maybe that's a, a good pause even there to think about. Is that the way that you feel about your brothers and sisters here? I know that the reality is, is that tension creeps into our relationships. And that there may be, I think we could probably guarantee it, at least for some of us, that there's people here that you have a struggle with. Or your heart kind of hiccups a little bit when you think of them as your joy and your crown, or those that you long to see. Maybe you long for reunification with them, but the relationship is strained. Paul sets a, a, a high standard here. Now, there's much we don't know about Euodia and Syntyche. We do know, and we saw this in verse 3, that these women have been valuable ministry partners to the Apostle Paul. He describes them as women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These were gospel partners. He describes them as fellow workers. And not just fellow workers with Paul, they were fellow workers with one another. They had worked together in the past. Correcting someone by name in a letter to a church was not typical practice. There's lots of Paul's letters that don't do that. In fact, churches that were in much worse condition than the church in Philippi was. 
Many times, situations just leave unnamed. Or, or, the, or the people in situations leave unnamed. So it's not just our church here on Sunday morning that that would be awkward to call out two people by name. Could you imagine doing that this morning? I'm not planning on it. You never know what's going to happen. No, uh, not planning on it. See, but more was at stake than comfort in the church of Philippi. Their names were included because differences had grown to the point that the whole church had been affected. And we, we don't know what started the uh, disagreement. I think it probably wasn't a big doctrinal disagreement because Paul would have addressed that. It probably wasn't a huge, scandalous moral issue. You know, Syntyche's not sleeping with Yodia's husband. It's nothing drastic like that, or Paul would have addressed that. We don't know what the disagreement was, but the health of the church in Philippi was threatened. The infection of disunity had started to spread. And, and that's why we know that, that it's said publicly here. Accusations were being heard. Cases were being made. Teams were being picked, maybe lines drawn. And instead of striving together, as Paul had commanded them, the Philippians were at risk of striving against one another. When Paul says in verse 2, I urge, it means to, to entreat, some of your verses say, to beg, to appeal. Paul's Greek is intentional here. It would have been very easy in Greek to use the verb once. I, 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 I urge you, Odean Syntyche, and that would have been, been more common. The fact that he uses the verb twice, just like your versions show. I urge Odea, and I urge Syntyche. He repeats this twice to each woman because they are each responsible. And that is true in conflict, right? Each party has a responsibility. Okay, so the responsibility lies on both women. And Paul makes that very clear. He urges both of them. And he says to live in harmony, to agree. And literally, it's to think the same thing. To think the same. To be united in their basic aim, in their direction, in their orientation of their behavior. See, our, our, our mindset, our disposition, our ways of thinking affect our attitudes and our behavior and our decision. And so he says, so in your thinking, be settled on the same thing. This verb to think has been used many, time in, many times in the book of Philippians. It's about but the book of Philippians is about mindset. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 2, where he calls them to be of the same mind and intent on one purpose. The verb was used again in verse 5 of chapter 2, have this attitude. Philippians 3.19 was the last time we saw it, who set their minds on earthly things. The book is about our, dis, our, our disposition, our intentional thinking, what we're settled upon, the way that we view the world. And so he says, view the world in the same way. Paul shows the seriousness of, this, the, the, of the command by adding in the Lord. In the Lord adds essential context. Both Euodia and Syntyche are in the Lord. The Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, is their context. And in, and in saying the same thing in the Lord, Paul brings hope to them. We're going to see he challenges them, but he brings hope to them. They are both in the Lord. This is very widely. Even if they think differently about a million different things, they can think the same biblical theology. And we've really discussed that already in, in Philippians 2, verse 2. This is how someone has the same mind and maintains the same love and has one purpose. It's when that same mind is driven from God's word. And this is his command to them to think the same thing in the Lord, in the realm of what's true. It's a thinking that is appropriate to both the example of Christ's humility and the exaltation of Christ as Lord. And we saw that and, and, and have looked at that again and again in Philippians 2. And we'll never get tired of looking at it in Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude, have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So thinking the same thing in the Lord, we can look, is going to have some of this kind of thinking. Verse 6. 
this humility of Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is part of thinking the same thing in the Lord. It's to have that humility, or at least mirroring some of that humility that the Lord Jesus Christ had when he became obedient to death, even death on the cross, that willingness to die to ourselves, to die to any number of preferences, to be conformed to Christ's death, as Paul says at the end of chapter 3. It's also to remember that Christ is Lord, that he has been exalted, we saw that in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the God the Father. That is part of us thinking the same thing. It is to remember that we have an exalted Christ who is over the universe, that he is the ultimate authority. So these are the kinds of things that were supposed to be drawing Yodia and Syntyche together. These were the kind of truths, the humility of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. But we could add so many more to that. Thinking the same thing means having an accurate view of ourselves, both who we were before we were saved and who we are now after salvation. Titus 3.3 reminds us what we once were. We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That is who we were. Thinking the same thing requires us to remember who we used to be, what we, what we repented of. Thinking the same thing in the Lord is also remembering who we are now, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus if you put your faith in him. That you are now a slave of righteousness, no longer a slave to sin. That you have been bought with a price. That you are God's child. That you are to be like him. That is part of thinking the same thing in the Lord. It's thinking that includes an accurate view of our brothers and sisters in Christ. To look at our brothers and sisters that we feel that tension with, that we are in conflict with. And think the same thing in the Lord about them as we would like them to be thinking about us in the Lord. That is someone chosen by God the Father. That is someone purchased with the blood of Christ, with a precious blood of Christ. That is someone who has God's Spirit indwelling them right now. These are the kinds of unifying things that we need to be thinking. It's thinking with an accurate view of our purpose here on earth. We are not here to be the happiest place on earth. We are here to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son by living worthy, by striving together. And, and, and what does he say? Standing firm in one spirit, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. These are the kinds of thinking the same things in the Lord that will bring us together. If we are, if we are committed to that kind of thinking, and we're going to be exploring that. Just imagine what that does to that relationship with a brother and sister in Christ that you feel tension towards. Are those the things that you've been thinking? What if you thought those same things? What if you lived in harmony? And, and, and honestly, live in harmony is a fine way of, of, tran, of translating that. Agreeing in the Lord is what the ESV has, and that's a fine way of translating it. Harmony is adding a, a, a kind of a, a musical picture to it. Thinking the same thing in the Lord just makes it super clear. Having this mindset, this, 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 this Christ-driven mindset. Now, I want to get practical here. And honestly, uh, I, feel, I feel like, like a child. Um, I have, I'm, I'm taking baby steps in this. As I, this has been a painful couple weeks. I've been exploring all kinds of tensions that I feel towards people and exploring conflicts and what do I do with those. Um, um, fortunately, there have been whole books written on this. Uh, 
there's a book that, 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 that this, this, some, some of you have read called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Uh, I can send out uh, links later to where you can find some articles. And there's one by Robert Jones called Resolving Conflict Christ's Way, which is a great article. Getting to the Heart of Conflict by David Powelson. I'm going to send a, a, a church-wide email later with, with links to those where you can find those. But I want to give some, some, some helps here if you're feeling that tension. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with one of your brothers and sisters here. Maybe it's with your children. And I would say, begin by asking the Lord to reveal to you who you are in tension with. Because honestly, as you start kind of thinking church-wide, you, you, you might have a history of like, well, that's kind of, that's kind of unresolved. And I'm not saying that you rush out and resolve all of these things. But even in your own heart, how are my relationships with my brothers and sisters in my care group, in the ministry that I serve in? As as I think through the whole church, as I think through previous churches I've been in, as I think through my family relationships, I think that this is humbling in itself. It has been to me. You need to commit to pleasing God in every relationship, no matter the cost. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, our aim, our purpose, whether at home or, in, or absent, whether in heaven or here, to be pleasing to him. See, pleasing God may not be the end of any of that tension. It might not resolve any conflict, but you can be committed as much as dependent upon you to be pleasing to the Lord. You are only responsible for how you please him. You can't be responsible for someone else's response. But you can be responsible for how you please him. So as much as is on you to live at peace with all men, from Romans 12, 18, more or less. So as you commit to pleasing him, seek to understand your own responsibility in this conflict so you can repent and ask forgiveness. It may not even be an outright conflict. It may just be tension. There, there's a great line by David Powelson. Arguments are about confessing your sins and excusing my own. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Arguments are about confessing your sins and excusing my own. That's what we do, right? How often, as you have that tension with someone, that conflict, and when that bubbles over into that argument, how much is it about their sins and not yours? James 4.1 is such a valuable verse here. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? We fight with one another because we don't get what we want. And so, as you are exploring the tension that you have, the conflicts you have with others, what is it that you want in that relationship that you're not getting? What is it that you want so much that you've become bitter towards someone, that you've become angry against them, that you've become resentful of them? What are you not getting? You may not even be wanting something bad, but you may be wanting that, that thing too much, so much it's become a, a ruling desire. Now, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5 are so powerful here. As you think about the, 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 the tension you feel towards your brothers and sisters. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I, I am not promising that all of your conflicts and all the tension will go away when you start paying attention to your own sin and what is ruling your heart and what it is that you're craving. But you get a lot of mileage. Your love for someone has much more freedom to grow. When you're, not, when you're not just obsessed with how they've sinned against you, but you're thinking about, have you sinned against them? There's another great quote here by David Powelson. When you and I fight, our minds become filled with accusations. Your wrongs and my rights preoccupy me. We play the self-righteous judge in the many kingdoms we establish. You are so stupid, cruel, insensitive, selfish. You've gotten in my way. You don't get it. You're a hindrance to my agenda. 
That's what so many of our battles boil down to. You've gotten in my way. You're holding me back from getting what I want. So begin with your own sin. Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you self-righteous? Are you selfish? Are you proud? Are you obsessed with your righteousness, what you deserve, that you deserve to be treated better? Are you rehearsing sins as you fall asleep, making yourself feel comfortable with the other person's sin? There's a quote by Robert Jones. Whose sin bothers you the most, yours or the other person's? Honestly, there were several tensions in my life that kind of just got obliterated as I asked that question. Wait, whose sin am I more worried about? There or mine? I had a friend on a mission trip once say, when you're right, you're wrong. I've said that so many times since, mostly to myself. When you're right, you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you don't have to go and confront someone, but just that, 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 that kind of the building the walls around us and lobbing over all kinds of attacks at other people. When you're right, you're wrong. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, referring to the temple context, but Jesus says, there remember that your brother has something, if you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Not every tension is going to require you to go to your brother or sister in Christ. A lot of those are not conflict. You, you may make things worse by saying, hey, I feel tension towards you. Well, I never knew it. Um, but when there's that broken relationship, when, when, when you're concerned that they have something against you, go to them. After doing this kind of heart work, after, after, after cataloging your sins, after you're convinced that you see more of your sins than you do of their sins. And then love the person. Forgive them, Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. If possible, overlook someone's offense against you. It may not always be possible and not be good for the person. But if possible, particularly when you see that tension, when you remember something that someone said a long time ago, it's not a life-dominating pattern. It's something that you may need to overlook. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. That's Proverbs 19.11. But it may be necessary for that person's good, for the sake of your relationship, to confront them. Matthew 18 says we need to do this. Matthew 18.15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But how much better if at first, especially if we know that we've sinned. I mean, you don't have to make up sin. But if you know you've sinned against them, to confess your own sin first. Brother, I've been proud. Brother, I've been self-righteous. Brother, I, I got angry. Because you, no, don't say that. Just say, I was wrong. And as you do get to that point, when, when, as you're going over this conflict with someone, and I know there's so much more that could be said about this, listen. Don't defend. Listen. It's not just a husband-wife thing. It is especially a husband-wife thing. Maybe especially a husband thing. Listen. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Listen to the offense that they have against you. Then find ways to love them and do good to them. If that's what Jesus calls us to with our enemies, Luke 6, verses 27 to 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If that's what we to do for, for our enemies, how much more our brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus came to serve. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, I had told friends once that, that, that what, the what I do in, in conflict, well, I go out to lunch with that person. And that's not all that needs to be done, because there, there, there's times where you do need to say, Brother, I've sinned against you, but I, but I also have to say, um, 
I'm concerned about your response to me, and you have to have those conversations. But sometimes just loving someone and building a bridge and going to talk about together, if that's your thing, it was me and my brother's thing, we had some conflicts. But you know, when I'm like, I, I, we just need to get lunch. Love and serve. God doesn't promise that every conflict will be solved. But he does promise, if you have Jesus Christ in you, that you could please him in every conflict. You may still come here and feel unresolved tension. You may still feel conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ. You've done everything you can to, to, to find, to make peace with. But you can be confident that you're pleasing the Lord. But if two people have this mindset, if both Euodia and Syntyche have the same mindset, if they think the same thing in the Lord, if they are harmonious, if they agree, if they are unified in the Lord, Christ will be glorified. Now we see here that Paul's uh, tone is stern in Philippians 4.2, but it's gentle too. I urge Yodi and I urge Syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. Paul's optimistic. He's realistic, though, that they may need help. And we see that in verse 3. And this leads us to our second instruction. Our second instruction is be ready to help others and be helped by others in the pursuit of unity. Be ready to help others and to be helped by others in the pursuit of unity. So the first instruction was to pursue unity in your relationships in verse 2. The second is be ready to help others and be helped by others in the pursuit of unity. We see that in the first half of verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these, these, these women. We don't know who this true companion was. Obviously, the church in Philippi did, or they would have used the true companion's name. Some people, and that word companion is literally yoke fellow. So the person who's right there, you know, the ox next to you, you know, like, this is me, I'm an ox, this is my best friend, ox, and we're yoke fellows together. I don't know what just happened there. but uh, um, So it's possible. His name was Yokefell. I find it unlikely, although some commentaries argue that true Yokefell is like, be true to your name, Yokefell, and come and help. But I think it's probably just the one who's worked alongside me, the one who's been in the fields with me. These women may need your help, so get involved. Now, in applying this verse, we need caution. Paul didn't ask every person in the church to jump in. All of Philippi, pile on. Dogpile that conflict. Let's, let's, let's everyone get involved so that we can all make it right. Paul looked to someone who, who he knew would be adept at bringing aid and sent him in whether he was welcome or not. You Odian Syntyche were not necessarily asking for the yoke fellow to come, for the companion to come. Paul sent him in. So how do we apply this? One application is that you must be ready to aid your brothers and sisters when unity is in danger. You must be ready to aid your brothers and sisters when unity is in danger. Now, our responsibilities differ. We are not all elders. We're not all care group leaders. But you all have a role to play when you see your brother's and sister's heart grow cold and hard towards one of their other brothers and sisters. It may not be to say, Bob, Sally, we need a meeting. You may not be the unifying force, but you can help each person think the same thing in the Lord. And, I, and I've got some warnings here with this. So, as you seek to be involved, Matthew 7, 5, don't forget, first take the log out of your own eye. When you're concerned that someone might have a broken relationship with someone else, take the log out of your own eye first before getting out that speck. Be cautious and spend time praying first. Lord, do, is, is it wise for me to go and to address this person? I'm seeing some tension in the, in the care group or those people used to be best friends and now anytime he talks about him, I just, I just sense that there's this edge to it or pray first. And maybe go to that person humbly. Well, definitely go, go humbly, but maybe try asking a question like this, is you've had time to catch up a little bit, not firstly on a Sunday morning. Brother, I'm concerned how your relationship with John is or with Bob is. 
how's your heart toward them? See, be more interested in their heart's response than the situation or the offense or what's happened. Because you're not there to, and, and sometimes you, you may be there, particularly care group leaders or, or elders, you may be there to hear out the whole thing with both sides present. But many times, you don't need to hear all that stuff because most of that conflict's problem is going to be inside the heart. The sin comes from fighting for what we want. So, Avoid learning about the situation unless both sides are there. Proverbs 18, 17. Uh, Pastor John quotes this all the time. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Be, 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 be cautious just saying, oh, well, tell me everything. I want more juicy details. Can you, oh, wait, so what, so what did he say then? No, it's not what you're there for. You're, you're just there to say, I, I, I noticed that, that, that there's a break in your relationship. You don't, you don't seem to love him like you once did. So don't get involved in a he said, she said. Don't participate in someone's sin of slander or gossip. Do you need those details to be of some help? You don't. Unless maybe you're a care group leader, an elder. And some of you may be in in positions. We are with our children where you need to understand. But have both people there. When conflict remains, encourage that person to go and seek out their care group leader or their elder's help. But don't just let your brother or sister in Christ get bitter and hard and resentful towards another brother or sister. Prayerfully, humbly, after examining your own heart, go to them and say, Brother, I'm just concerned. Are things okay? But we also have to be willing to receive help, right? You have to be willing to receive help as well. And here's a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 17 says, He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 15, 32, He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. When someone, when a brother or sister comes to you and says, you know, I just noticed this edge in your relationship with this other brother or sister. Listen when they come to you with that kind of humble concern for your love for your brother or sister in Christ. Be humble. The reality is, no matter what they say to you, you're a far worse sinner than they imagine. Right? We all know that to be. You are much worse than the worst thing that someone can think about you. But you are also forgiven of more sins than anyone else knows. It's okay if someone comes to you with a concern. Pray for wisdom and open ears as you begin to listen. Ask questions to try to figure out what they've seen in you that's making them raise us up. Perhaps, you know, and this happens. You, you had an issue in your heart you're trying to, 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 to deal with, and you didn't know other people could see it. You didn't know that that friction was coming to the surface, that what was on the inside was coming out. You didn't know you had to go make that relationship right until you saw it come out, until someone came and told you. And talk about your heart towards the person. And this is so key. Talk about your heart toward the person and not that other person's actions. Talk about your heart towards the person, about what, about what you're struggling with. I'm struggling being patient. I've gotten really self-righteous. Not... Well, they did this, and they did this, and they did this. Don't, 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 don't involve someone who doesn't need to be involved. Unless the other party is there with you, and the person you're speaking to is trusted enough to, to help. There are times where a husband and wife needs to sit down with a care group leader with their pastor. There's times where brothers and sisters need to sit down with someone who can help. But besides that, do you ever need to get into all those details of what someone did? 
So seek to please the Lord in, in your response. We're going to go through this last point quickly. The third instruction here is to be motivated by the past, present, and future in the pursuit of unity. Be motivated by the past, present, and future in the pursuit of unity. I'm going to read that to you from chapter 4, verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I, I ask you also to help these women. And then Paul motivates. Who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is motivation for the true companion, but this was also motivation for the women who are sitting there listening to this, right? Paul reminds them of the past. He motivates them of the past, that, 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 that you women, you've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. That shared my struggle, it's to contend along with, to struggle with. It's the word we get agonized from. We engaged in, in the competition together. We, we were engaged in this conflict together. And what was that we were fighting for? It was for the progress of the gospel. You and you, you were there helping me. And, 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 and then Paul reminds them of, of the company that they shared with Clement. Again, we don't know anything else about Clement or the rest of my fellow workers. We know even less about them. We don't even know their names. But, but they were part of a team for advancing the gospel. They played an essential part in the mission of the church. So as we think about how essential this unity is, we have to pursue unity because of what Christ has already accomplished through us. You know, I hear some of you talk about what Christ did through Cornerstone Bible Church on the Irvine campus. I've heard about how you've labored together for the gospel in the Czech Republic. I know that you struggle together in, in Roots and in Rock and in Pebble Ministry. We are valuable teammates of one another. We are soldiers in the same battle. We can't let unity get in the way of what we're trying to accomplish. This is for the progress of the gospel. He reminds them, you were my workers, you were my co-laborers. You had my back and I had yours. we got to keep going. And then you see there's obviously motivation to the present, right? This is, this is not just all past work. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't specifically say it, but he's just not saying, boy, those were some fond memories, right? Weren't those great times? The, there's work to be done right now. There are elect in our neighborhoods and in our work environments and in our schools, right? We have work to do in this church neighborhood. There are more that God are going to save. Christ's power is going to be put on display by the way that we handle conflict, by the fact that we don't jettison when things get hard. See, this called unity is just one more stroke that Paul's been painting through this whole letter, this, this picture of what gospel partnership is. This picture of what we're all supposed to be doing together. It's about gospel progress. The mission of the church is gospel progress through evangelism and discipleship. The mission of the church is gospel progress through evangelism and discipleship. That is what we're doing. We're making, we're helping the world see how beautiful Christ is. And where else to see that beauty? In, in, in sinners being unified. In Euodia and Syntyche thinking the same thing, in refining the harmony that they used to sing together. Conflict can be a hindrance to the gospel, but it can also be an opportunity. We can't, you can't, I can't let bitterness fester in our hearts. We can't let this infection of self-righteousness and self-pity and self-focus blind ourselves so that we can't see ourselves right and that we can't see our brothers and sisters right. Now, I know that, 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 that there are topics that we're going to see differently about. There's going to be minor doctrines that we have difficulty agreeing on. But that doesn't explain, why did that lion just come out of me? That lion came out of you because you wanted to win. Because you wanted your way. It wasn't about the issue. It wasn't about the discussion. It was that you forgot to think the same thing in the Lord. You forgot the mindset of Jesus Christ. 
Paul also motivates them. He motivates them from their past ministry, from the work that needs to be done as implied, but also from the future. He talks about them whose names are in the book of life. Now, the Greek could refer to that, that you, you, you Odie and Syntyche's names are in the book of life. It could refer to Clement and the fellow workers or to the whole group of them, which is where I lean. The book of life refers to, to God's eternal decree, his decision in eternity past of the names of all who would be his people. It's referenced many times in Scripture in various ways. Exodus 32, verse 32. Uh, Moses pleads with God to forgive the Israelites after the golden calf, and he says, please blot me out from your book, which you have written, if you won't, if you won't forgive their sins. And that's the first reference of this, this book that, 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 that God has. Of course, it's not a physical book, but, but, but with the names, his, his knowledge of all those he's going to save. Luke 10, 20, Jesus says to rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Revelation 20, 15 describes that anyone's name not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. In this book of life, in this, in, 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 in this knowledge of God, in this list of names and those he's chosen, there are no last minute additions. There's no bigger question than for you to ask, is your name written in God's book? Is your name in that eternal decree of God? Is your name going to be read at the last day? It doesn't matter if your name is written in a Bible that's falling apart because you've read it so much. If your name is not written in the book of life. Maybe that, that, that leads you to wonder, well, is my name there? Do you know how your name is there? How you know if your name is there? Listen to what John 6, 37 says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Is your name in the book of life? You will come to Jesus Christ. And you will keep coming throughout your life to Jesus Christ. Right? You will not go to anyone else. You will not place your hope for salvation in yourself. You, you will forsake all other hopes. You will go to Jesus Christ desperate for salvation. You will go to him willing to submit to him as Lord. Will you go to Jesus alone? That is how you know if your name is in that book of life, because you go to Jesus Christ, and you keep going to Jesus Christ. John 6.40 says, a few verses later, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. That is God's will. That for any that looks at the Son and puts their hope in Him, they will have eternal life. Your name is in His eternal book if you are willing to come to Him through His Son. Have you gone to Jesus Christ through His Son? Is He your only hope in life and death? Have you turned away from placing your hope in anything else besides Jesus Christ? Paul was confident that the names of Yodi and Syntyche were in God's book. We know where they are now, right? Where are Yodi and Syntyche now? Unless they're very old. They're in heaven, right? They have no division in heaven. They have no conflict in heaven. They have seen God's holiness. They understood how sinful they were. They don't waste any time going through their offenses that someone else has made against them. They're too overwhelmed by God's mercy to ever go back there. Do you know what they're doing? They are in harmony. They are agreeing. They are thinking the same thing in the Lord perfectly, and that is our battle here for the glory of Christ. It is to be thinking the same thing in the Lord. That's why Paul brings up this picture of eternity, of their names being in the book of life. We have to work for that, for that unity now. We need to be pursuing that unity with our brothers and sisters. We need to be helping and being willing to be helped in the pursuit of unity in one another's lives. As far as I know, the cast of Disneyland thinks the same thing. I know that that's, it's not that simple. I'm sure they wish that they were paid more. I'm sure that, that there are many hard things in their lives going on. But from everything you see when you go in, to those gates, right, is that they're all thinking the same thing. And the picture really is kind of magical. 
It really is, at least it looks to be, the happiest place on earth, right? I mean, except for here. See, they are united in that reputation, in that purpose. And I don't know if they do it for money. I don't know if they really love it. I don't know what goes on there. But they, are, they, they think the same thing. Will you think the same thing in the Lord so that the world around us will know the power of our Savior? Will you think the same thing in the Lord so that the world around us will know the power of Jesus Christ? See, the, this tension you feel towards those brothers and sisters, this maybe this conflict you're actually in is an opportunity to show the glory of Christ as you think the same thing in the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, um, I know that my heart really has been devastated this week, um, and I pray that for my brothers and sisters here who need it. Lord, it's so easy to just kind of brush over tensions, uh, to kind of wish problems would go away, and, and, and to not be honest with our own hearts, not be honest really if we're thinking the same thing in the Lord, to not be honest whether the gospel is invading our thinking the way it ought, whether we have the mind of Christ, whether we're seeking others' things or our own. Father, I pray that these uh, truths, these unifying truths, these, this, this whole mindset that Paul talks about again and again, this whole way of thinking, this, 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 this job that we have of gospel progress and, and our co-laboring and our striving together and our standing together and our seeking others' interests above our own, it, it, it would push us to, to examine ourselves humbly before you, Lord. I pray, Father, that the planks would be gotten out of our eyes. I pray, Father, that, 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 that we would be humble enough to have our sins exposed, that we would stop listing off others' offenses against us, and we'd be more concerned about how we've offended others, how we have brought shame to your Son. I pray, Father, that uh, you would be glorified by brothers and sisters here really having a supernatural unity as they have harmony, agreeing the same thing, agreeing around these, 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 these amazing truths, this gospel that we hold precious, Lord. Father, as we hold that together, may we come in closer together. Lord, may we bear one another's burdens. May we speak more honestly when we see sin. Lord, may we have a greater concern for the glory of Christ than our own comfort. Father, the, the work that you have for us of being used in one another's lives isn't done. So please, Father, be doing this in your grace for the glory of your Son, that the whole world would see how powerful Christ is and how great it is to be his child, to be your child. In Jesus' name, amen.